Peter knew the power of God's grace in his own life. And he had the opportunity to see its power in others, too. So what about the power of grace in your life? Hello, I'm Woodrow Kroll. I'm Tammy Weisert. And this is Back to the Bible. Welcome to our study, everyone. Today, we discover the power of God at work in the early Christians. And Wood, grace is the key word, Mm -hmm. the power of God's amazing grace. Yes, that's right, Tammy. You know, we often take grace for granted as the gift of God, not just for ourselves, but for other people as well. But we also are instruments of God's grace, touching other people. And we're going to see that in Peter's life today. Well, we're in Acts chapter 9 with Peter and several special grace assignments. Here's Dr. Kroll and our Back to the Bible study, which was recorded at the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. You know, Peter is the leader of the apostles. He was last mentioned back in Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Remember, Peter and John were sent to Samaria to check out what was going on, because Philip preached to the people of Samaria, and the Spirit of God came to them. Well, uh, from Samaria, then, they go to the city of Lydda. Lydda is a fairly large town in those days. It's about 25 miles uh, away from Jerusalem. So here we are. We find Peter engaged uh, with a man called Aeneas. We don't know anything about Aeneas, and his story is very short, but I think it's important for us to see the grace of God that is being shared with others through the ministry of these apostles. Acts chapter 9, let's just read verses 32 to 35. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelled in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Isn't it interesting how these people watch things that happen, and they're convinced that the message that these apostles have is true. Well, Peter is the agent. Jesus, obviously, is the power here. He was raised in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aeneas is healed. And then, if you notice in verse 34, ladies, Aeneas did something you've been trying to get your kids to do for years. He made his bed. He got up, he made his bed, because he didn't need it anymore. He could now walk. It had been eight years since he'd done so. So you see the grace of God in the life of this paralyzed Aeneas. Then as you read further in chapter 9, you see the grace of God in the life of this deceased Dorcas. Let me just read some verses beginning at verse 36. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they washed her... They laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there. They sent two of them, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Dorcas, or Tabitha, both names of the same Dorcas is her Greek name. 
Tabitha is her Aramaic name, a sister language to Hebrew. Uh, both of them mean gazelle, and if I say Dorcas one time and Tabitha the next, you know that I'm talking about the same person. I'm going to try to call her Tabitha just for consistency here. In verse 36, you notice that Tabitha was a woman full of good works and of charitable deeds. Now, good works and charitable deeds do not save anyone. These are not the means of salvation. But they do say something about her character. She was a generous woman. She cared about other people. But Tabitha became sick, and as a result of her illness, Tabitha died. You know it is customary, especially in the Jewish religion and in many religions of the Middle East, it is customary to bury the person before sundown on the day they die. And yet, These Jewish people don't do that. Instead, they wash her body, they take her to an upper room, and they send for Peter. You know what I think? I think even though she was dead, they thought she could live again. They had faith that if Peter just came, and the power of the Spirit of God and the grace of God would flow through Peter, that their good friend Tabitha might, in fact, live again. So they don't put her in the ground. They simply wash the body And they kind of put her on a bed upstairs, and they say, go quickly and have Peter come. Well, Peter comes, verses 39 through 43. Um, And when Peter gets there, he puts everybody else out of the room, verse 39. He wants them um, not to be in the room mourning while he's uh, being used of God in the life of Tabitha. Besides, if they want Tabitha brought back from the dead, they ought to be praying, not mourning. So, after getting everybody out of the room, Peter gets down on his knees. You see that in verse 40. Peter told Tabitha to get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. That's amazing. Not that she's alive, but she saw Peter and sat up. And then verse 42, as a result of this this startling miracle, we learn that many of the residents, not only of Joppa, the seaport city, but many of the residents who lived in other parts of Sharon, the the plain of Sharon, you know, that uh, coastal land that lies between um, Joppa in the south and uh, Haifa in the north. Well, many people heard the story of the miracle of Tabitha's being raised from the dead. They heard about God's grace in the life of Tabitha, and as a result of that, they believed in the Lord. So now we've seen two very quick stories in our study today. The story of Aeneas, who was healed by God's grace. The story of Tabitha, who was raised from the dead by God's grace. And I think the PowerPoint that comes out of this story is that these two miraculous events in this chapter prove that God is in complete control of nature. God can do whatever God chooses to do. He didn't have to heal Aeneas of his paralysis. And he certainly didn't have to raise Tabitha or Dorcas from the dead. So why did he? Well, he did it because it suited him to do so, you know. Why does God do what God does? Because that's the kind of God he is. He raised Aeneas from being a cripple. He raised Tabitha from the dead because he's just that kind of God. He is the God of grace and the God of glory. Let me invite you to check out our Back to the Bible website. 
It's full of Bible study tools as well as daily studies and devotions. And speaking of website wood, I have a note here from someone who's using those online resources. It says, "Thank you for doing all you do to make daily devotions possible. I came back to God in November 2010 and found your site out of my need for direction. So many times I have found just what I need when I need it." God is surely using your ministry. May He bless each and every person there. No matter what your part is in touching the lives of people, you may never meet. <laughs> Great testimony. You know, as partners who support Back to the Bible, you are touching the lives of people you will never meet this side of heaven. You see, along with our radio listeners throughout the world, Back to the Bible also reaches thousands of people through our website. Now, we want you to use our website tools as well. You'll find them at backtothebible.org, or if you live in Canada, go to backtothebible.ca. We know you'll be blessed by what you find, and you can share those blessings with others through a monthly or a one-time gift. Now you can always give safely and securely online, or you can call us today at one eight hundred seven five nine twenty four twenty five. Our phone number again is one eight hundred seven five nine twenty four twenty five. Thank you for making a difference. God's grace through Peter healed a paralyzed man and restored a dead woman to life. And as our study continues, Peter is sent to yet another person in need of God's grace. Here again is Dr. Kroll with more of today's Back to the Bible study. So we're going to see the grace of God now in the life of a man who is not a cripple, a man who is not lame, a man who is not blind, and a man who is not dead. And yet he needed the grace of God just like all these others did. Well, let me read several verses and then we'll make some comments on what we see. Acts chapter ten, beginning at verse one. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, "Cornelius," and what he observed, and when he observed him, he was afraid, and he said, "What is it, Lord?" So he said to him, "Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God." Okay, Peter is going to be introduced in the next verse. Peter and Cornelius are、uh, going to get their lives together, and Cornelius will never be the same again. But before we get to Peter in this story, let's、uh, let's do the who, what, when, where, and how kind of question. Let's find out what's going on in Acts chapter ten, because Acts chapter ten is a bit different from the first nine chapters.、Uh, first of all, we're dealing with the city of Caesarea as opposed to Jerusalem. Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea on the coast,、uh, was、uh, named in honor of Augustus Caesar.、Um, Octavian was his real name, but he was the Caesar who was in power at the birth of the Lord Jesus. You remember,、uh, Caesarea was built by Herod the Great from 22 B.C. to to 10 B.C. It lies about 32 miles north of the city of Joppa, where we just saw. Uh, Dorcas, and about 25 miles south of、uh, Haifa, which is a, a major seaport city on 
the coast of Israel. For us, though, the important thing is this is the first town mentioned in the book of Acts in which there is entirely a Gentile church. Not a Jewish church, believers who have been Jewish people, and not a mixture of Jewish and Gentile believers. This church in Caesarea is non-Jewish. Everybody in this church is not a Jewish person. Who are we talking about when we talk about this man, Cornelius? Well, because of frequent outbreaks of violence in this part of the world, remember, the Jews are living under Roman rule, not by their choice, Uh, Roman soldiers had to be stationed throughout the country, and their main station was here in Caesarea. So we have in verse 1 explanation that this man Cornelius was a centurion. By definition, a centurion is a soldier, an army officer, who is in charge of 100 soldiers. Centurion. But it also tells us that he was a part of, he was a centurion in the Italian regiment, the Italian cohort. And basically that means that there are six centuries of 100 men. Six times 100. And there's a hundred every time you do that. So we're talking about 6,000 soldiers being stationed at the city of Caesarea. Now, Cornelius is not over all 6,000. He's over a hundred of those. But there are six centuries, six one-hundreds of a hundred men each. That means then that this is a really Gentile city, Uh, not a Jewish city. This is the city of the Roman government. It's also the city where the army is located. But what you see about this man, Cornelius, is he's a very religious man. In fact, he's a devout man who feared God. We learn in verse 3 about the ninth hour of the day. He's, he's praying. He's, he's spending time in prayer. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and uh, like uh, the Jews who had a regular time of prayer, even though he's not Jewish, he had a regular time every day, multiple times, when he would go to prayer. Now, while he's praying, we see in verses 3 and 4, while he's praying, Cornelius has a vision. He sees an angel. Later on, in chapter 10, verse 30, he's going to describe this angel as a man in dazzling clothes. He's, he clearly understands this to be an angel. But what I want you to see is, what is his n- initial and natural response to seeing an angel, even though it's a vision? Well, verse 4 tells us. He's scared to death. In the Bible, when people encountered angels, they were always scared to death. I mean, think about the story of the women at the tomb. The two soldiers are playing dead because they've seen an angel, and every time you see an angel, you are fearful. The shepherds saw an angel, and they were, as King James says, sore afraid. So when you encounter an angel... It's a really unique experience. And Cornelius has this vision. He encounters this angel, and the angel instructs Cornelius to send for Simon Peter. Verse 5. Simon Peter was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Now, that's interesting in itself, because a tanner has to work with hides, cow hides generally. But because a tanner comes in contact with a dead animal... He is ceremoniously unclean. So I found it extremely interesting that Simon the Tanner is hosting Peter 
And, and Peter is the guy who wants to keep every aspect of the law, and yet he's living with a fellow who is ceremonially unclean. It may be, and this is just a supposition at this point, it may be that the crack is starting to split wide open. And uh, Peter is already, even to a small extent, beginning to understand that, you know what? Something new is happening in the life of Jews today. And that something new is that God is going to open up his grace to all kinds of people. So Cornelius dispatches two of his servants and a soldier. And he says, go down there to Joppa and get Peter and bring him back here. Look at verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Again, part of his daily routine, three times a day at least, third hour, sixth hour, and sunset, Peter would go to pray. Well, he's now up on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house. He's praying, and uh, while he's praying, something very strange happens to Peter. Let me just read on so we know what it is. Verse 10 says, He became very hungry, wanted to eat. But while they made ready his lunch, he fell into a trance. He hasn't eaten now. He's extremely hungry. He's praying. This... This strange trance comes over him where he's uh, not asleep, but he's also not quite awake. And he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let it down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Now, this is not a dream. Uh, Peter's not asleep here. He's awake. He's in a trance. That's different from a dream. But I want to tell you what, if you have a trance like this, uh, it's enough to want to wake me up uh, immediately. I mean, here comes this huge, what looks like a sheet, and inside the sheet are all these kinds of animals. And it's not Noah's Ark. It's just various different kinds of animals. And and in those uh, among those animals are clean animals and unclean animals. Now, according to Jewish law, There were certain foods that were forbidden for all Jews to eat. Uh, Leviticus chapter 11 gives kind of a list of those foods. Uh, Peter already uh, is one who's uh, very willing to voice his opinion. You know that about Peter. So he expresses his conviction that he ought not eat of those animals. He does so as a result of the voice telling him, verse 13, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he looks at his, his trance and he says, I can't eat these animals. It's against the Levitical law. So he expresses that opinion, verse 14. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, Peter knows the law so well, he can quote it anytime he wants to. He just doesn't always think about it, you know. And sometimes we do the same thing, you know. Uh, Peter says, no, I can't. Lord, it doesn't matter what you tell me. I can't pay any attention to you because I know the law. Well, that's the wrong thing to say to the Lord. He obviously knows that God is speaking to him. A voice spoke to him, verse 15, the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. In other words, yes, the Levitical law says you are not to eat of certain unclean animals, certain birds. However... If God says it's okay for you to eat, 
You must obey God whether you understand what God is saying to you or not. So the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter objects. But notice that repetition is the key to learning. Uh, Any of you who are teachers know that this is true. Look at verse 16. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Three times. So he has this uh, trance, this vision that comes from a trance, and, and a sheet comes down, and and he looks in that sheet, and he sees animals that he knows are unclean, but he hears the voice of God say, rise and eat, and he objects to that because he knows the Levitical law does not permit him to do so. And three times God says, Peter, listen to me, rise and eat. Peter says, I can't do it, Lord. I know the Levitical law. And the Lord says, Peter, listen to me, rise and eat. So before the trance is over, before the sheet goes back up to heaven, three times God gives him the command to do something that innate to his nature, growing up as a Jewish person, Peter said, it is impossible for me to do so. Well, while all this is going on, wouldn't you know it, the men from Cornelius arrive, they find Peter, they stay the night. The next day, Peter and the men, along with some of the believers from Joppa, make their way to Caesarea because Peter has a date with Cornelius, and Cornelius is a Gentile and Peter is a Jew. And the vision that God gives him there in Joppa in the house of Simon the Tanner is a vision that opens even a little wider the door for Peter to recognize just maybe God is going to show his grace to Gentiles. What we've seen from the story of Aeneas, what we've seen from the story of Tabitha, and now what we see from the story of Cornelius is when God says, I will expand my grace to the entire world, We must never go back to God and say, God, you can't do that because I remember what you taught me in the Old Testament. And God says, son, I can do whatever I want to do. And if I want to expand my grace to Cornelius, you get up there and you talk to Cornelius and you just watch what I do in the life of Cornelius. Thanks for joining us for Back to the Bible. I'm Tammy Weisert, along with Bible teacher Woodrow Kroll. Now, Wood, we all have people who present a challenge to us when it comes to sharing God's grace. So what's the key to seeing what God sees in them and giving them grace like he does? Well, Tammy, I think we can't possibly act like God and being gracious to other people, for example, without knowing God intimately. And we can't know God intimately without spending time with him. And you know where I'm going with this. We we can't spend time with God and get to know him intimately without engaging his word. Now, it's not that simple, of course, but that's where it starts. So if we want to share God's grace, as he does, we have to spend more time understanding him, uh, adoring him, knowing him, and then I think we'll be more like him. Wood, what do you love about taking people to Israel? Oh, it's one of the joys of my life. Uh, I think, but more importantly, it's a great teaching tool. In fact, many people learn more in one week in Israel than they learn in a whole year of Bible study. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't be involved in Bible study, but in Israel, you get perspective. Okay, so give us an example. Well, Jesus leaves the upper room and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. 
Where did he go? What route would he take along the way? You know, you can read a hundred books and never learn that, but walk that route once, you'll never forget it. Yeah, having done it, that's absolutely true. Experience our next journey to Israel coming up in September. For the full itinerary, go to backtothebible.org or call eight hundred seven five nine twenty four twenty five. Well, this must have been a tough test for Peter, but he would see something great come out of this. Yeah, Peter is clearly a changed man after his encounter with Cornelius. He's not the hard-nosed、uh, Jewish lawkeeper that he once was. Now he understands that God is opening His grace to all the world, and that's what we're going to look at tomorrow—the life of Peter as it was changed by God's grace. Well, as always, it's been both my honor and my pleasure to spend these moments with you. I hope that they've been meaningful to you. I know they have to me. And if they have touched you in some way, why don't you take a minute and drop us a note here at Back to the Bible? I know our staff would be so encouraged by what this ministry means to you. Thank you so much. I'm Woodrow Kroll. Have a good and godly day. Today's program is furnished by Back to the Bible. Thank you for your support.